Want some whiskey in your water? Sugar in your tea? What's all this crazy question you're asking me? This is the craziest party that could ever be. Don't turn on the lights because I don't want to see. Mama told me let's go. I hope your mum doesn't mind you coming, really. That was Three Dog Night with Mama Told Me Not To Come. But why wouldn't you want to come? Especially when it's the Bristol Cult Film Society Cult Film Podcast Podcast! <laughs> Episode 6, Fracas in French A. I'm your host, shameful Steve Noble. Time marches on as we march into March. On today's scintillating pod, you'll find out just what a three-dog knight is, learn how difficult it is to rescue a captive blonde who's neither blonde or captive, and explore the contents of a Californian 70s gay sex dungeon. Every month, we gather together three gladiators of genre movie, pack them into the Colosseum of cults, and make them duel to the DVD death as they justify their choices. Well, their movie choices anyway. Who will survive? And what will be left of them? Marching to his very own tune, we have the battling Brummy. It's Dave Brilliant Brock. He's got a mean right hook and he'll knock your block off so that you too can become a fiend without a face. The entire spinal cord is missing. What? It's incredible. It's as if some mental vampire at work. Up from down under, he's got a face like thunder and a half Nelson to match. It's trash-talking Dave Trzinski, and Dave is wielding our first-ever Mondo movie, the cannibal classic that is Captive Blonde. Well, Noel, what is this fantastic tale you have about aboriginals and cannibals in Australia? Fantastic, I suppose it is. She likes to boogie. Our resident alien, rolling Kate Bolin, and she brings the honeys with Invasion of the Bee Girls. Hey, you having some trouble? Nothing you couldn't fix, officer. You'll believe that Gloop can fly. But first, a disclaimer. The Bristol Cult Film Society, it's that little tickle in the back of your mind, that bothersome notion. Been a few days since I've watched anything cultish. I'll see what's on the TV. Well, that's no good. Maybe I'll get out an old disc or, or even a VHS. But you know, I've seen all those. I wonder what the Blu-ray Bloodhound recommends. Before you know it, the fridge is empty, the cocktail cabinet is drained, and all you have left is a pile of physical media, swamping you, drowning you, threatening to totter over and put you in hospital. And mostly all still neatly in its shrink wrap. Disclaimer. There is an inherent risk of ultra-high definition 4K Blu-ray DVD, VHS, Betamax, or even Laserdisc purchasing while listening to this podcast. The management accepts no responsibility for lost income, potential bankruptcy, or lost relationships while using the vicinity. Any incidents of t-shirt purchasing, wobbly-headed rubber monster, or final sound recording are done under the listener's personal agency and do not reflect the intention of the podcast. The podcast is for recreational use only and not for profit. However, should an occasion arise when any listener or organisation should like to forward large sums of cash to the proprietors, this can and will be arranged swiftly and at the listeners or organisations convenience. If you caught up with the feed, you'll have heard our new spin-off last time around. That's right, he's off the leash. It's John Tiberius Kirk, the Blu-ray bloodhound, and he's coming up in his own episode in two weeks' time. So, subscribe, review, give us five stars, present us with the deeds to your house and the soul of your firstborn child. Listen, you're in a cult. That's what cults do. Now, Dim those lights. Put an old Betamax on the fire. Blow the dust off that 1923 Chateau Dracula and take a great big swig. Dashing, Dave, tell us all about yourself. Thank you. I'm, this is my first podcast ever. But yeah, so I'm from Australia. I've been uh, uh, interested in horror films since uh, the early 80s with The Changeling. Um, I watched that for the first time on telly back in about 82 um, and it scared the absolute crap out of me so I've loved that feeling ever since um, so yeah so that's why I like why watching uh, horror um, that's about it 
Dave, I love the Changeling. What film? I did a, right. again, Kate and I both work on the Talking Pictures podcast, and I did a review of Changing just very recently. What a, what a movie. And I can understand, this often is that formative film, isn't there? There's that one you watch and you think, ah, I'm a horror <laughs> film fan. This is what I like. Thanks, Dave. Kate, tell us about yourself. Hi, I'm Kate. I live in Nottingham, but I grew up in Southern California. I am currently gainfully unemployed, but when I am employed, I am a marketer mostly with web hosting and i have been god i've been watching cult films since i was like a baby um my dad would regularly tape the weirdest movies at like 3 a.m in the morning and then have us watch them the next day so there is plenty that i have seen plenty that i haven't seen and i'm excited to watch now that's great thank you great intro. of course we met at that uh the one of the uh forbidden forbidden worlds film festivals quite we recently did. I, yeah, I didn't realize you'd come down all the way from nottingham for that i was no i wasn't down for that i was down for a completely separate event i was spending the day at the aquarium i finished at the aquarium i walk out and i see these guys setting up stuff um in fact it was uh jim will paint it was setting up his stand and i'm like hey guys what's going on here and they're like oh we're having a horror movie festival and I just went, yeah, okay, sold. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was great to catch up with you. So thank you for that. Uh, Dave Beats. So we've got two Daves on the show today. We've got Dave Dave Trzynski. We've got Dave Brock. Dave, tell us about yourself. Oh, um, what am I? I'm a husband and a father. What do you mean, normal men? We're just innocent men. <laughs> and um, what do I do? Not much. Um, uh, been a film fan since... Little, you know, watching the old um, double bills on BBC Two and uh, collecting videos, going to the old um, video fairs in Manchester, especially, getting your fingers dirty in VHS boxes. Um, but yeah, just basically into all kinds of cinema, really, but veered to the weird and cultish and uh, used to have my own website where i reviewed things so that helped um that's about it really i like the phrase veered, <laughs> veered to the weird veered to the weird i think is something we adopt uh as yes. our strap line for yes. this episode veered well, to yes, the weird. Been a, you know it's been a fan for years really just twiddling around the edges of cinema all the weird stuff <laughs> but the classics as well you gotta be into the classics you gotta embrace everything don't you brain it's gone that's not all the entire spinal cord is missing but it's incredible it's as if some mental vampire at work does it come from another country or another world this terrifying menace that g2 must destroy before it's too late image is fading sir there it goes again same trouble how can they stop this invisible force whose only warning is a weird blood-chilling sound only two people still alive can help this agent find the answers. The girl who could be a spy, and the scientist who could be the destroyer of the entire human race. We're facing a new form of life that nobody understands. I believe it feeds on the radiation from your atomic plants, and that it's evil. to stop them. There's only one way shut down your atomic plant. If I can get through, I can blow up the control room. You brought us Fiend Without a Face uh, yes. with Marshall Thompson. Tell us about Fiend Without a Face. Well, um, I guess sort of years ago as a kid, and it's always been a, a favourite because I think for the time, it was a surprisingly grisly film, actually. And uh, if it was ever in colour, it probably would have got into trouble, I think, that end bit, because it was um, 
really gloopy for the time. And those brains, they stick with you, don't they, really? You know, once you've seen them, um, you remember them. Um, but, yeah, it was just something that was kind of, it's sci-fi, it's British, but it's also horror, but it's also pretending to be American or Canadian. It's pretending to be in Canada, but it isn't. You know, it's just one of these weird things. And it's also comes from, like, a really interesting producer. He's kind of unsung, really. Because um, he's done some very interesting films. He's worked with Norman Joe Warren. It is. Richard Gordon. If you've seen The Most Magnificent Island of Terror with the brain-sucking, with the bone-sucking creatures, Pete Cushing being most fabulous, um, and it's sister product, Night of the Big Heat, where people get hot and horny and burn up, with Christopher Lee cushioning in just a small role there. Um, Devil Doll, the um, absolutely brilliant, if you've never seen it, I recommend it, Terror of Evil, which piles on the gore and the sleaze and really atmospheric, and Robin Asquith, so, I mean, what more do you want? Um, but yes, just an interesting guy, and some really entertaining films that deliver. That's the most important thing, they deliver what you hope for. I think so, but he don't. He doesn't really get talked about much because I think with most, as in most British horror, unless you're Hammer or Amicus or Tygon, perhaps you'd kind of get lost. And you don't really get talked about much. But Richard Gordon and his Planet Productions um, did some very interesting films, and they should be talked about more. So yes, and this is an old fave from late night TV days. So that's why I chose it. And there's certainly a reevaluation going on of that classic 70s, 60s horror at the moment. Uh, so I've just yeah. done a piece with John Kirk about uh, the Pete Walker reevaluation. Pete Walker was regarded as something of an auteur these days, uh, whereas he was a proper sleaze merchant back in the day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's fascinating. Well, yeah, we're all, wait- we're all waiting for the box set, aren't we? The famous box set. Um, <laughs> Dave, uh, uh, the, yes. briefly summarise the plot line for us. Okay, here we go then. I'm on. An unholy mix of military radar testing and a professor's mind experiments births a terrible brain-sucking creature that terrorises the local community. I'm going to have you do all our synopses just for that delivery. <laughs> <laughs> Kate, have you seen this before? Have you seen Fiend Without a Face before? I actually have not. I didn't see it before, and I was so delighted by it because it just... Oh. Any movie where the first line of dialogue is essentially... Uh, you need to lay off the benzedrine. You know you're in for art. I thought that was great as well. Uh, and yes, and it's it barely commented upon, is it? Yeah, get get on the bennies and you'll be all right. And of course, Marsh Thompson, lead actor, to many of us from uh, Atari, um, which is where I really know him from. And uh, yeah, Clarence the Cross-eyed Lion was a feature of my youth. And the one the one dinky toy that everybody had was that bloody Dactari Jeep with a rotating lion in the back. Dave, did you enjoy it? Had you seen it before? Yeah, I've actually seen it before. Um, but um, my memory's not that great, uh, which is why I, I collect a lot of my movies. Um, so that's why I had to watch all, all these movies again, just to remind myself. Um, but, yeah, whenever I um, whenever I watch these films, I like going to IMDb and checking out trivia. And I noticed that the lead uh, lead actor Marshall actually took over the uh, the directing of the film, uh, which I thought was quite interesting. And I like the little tidbits of information in regards to to the to Fiend. And uh, yeah, there's a, I, I like the feel of those types of films, like from the 1950s and 60s, um, the the Atomic Age type uh, sci-fi, which was what I really like. Yeah. I thought it was excellent. For me, it was the, yeah, there was the atomic age. Okay, like you said, I love the bit. It keeps saying, we're in Canada. There's a big sign saying this military base is in Canada. It's in like, Canada. You, it's in Canada. This is <laughs> not. And this, this is a French Canadian who speaks with <laughs> a Scottish accent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was, there were some roving accents. There were some very good yeah. accents in there. There were some and great actually, accents, but yeah. And genuinely seemed to be some US actors in it as well. Mm. Um, it wasn't all, you know, random Brits trying to do their best American. The payoff for me with it was the amount of stop motion. Oh, um, I know. 
as the as the brains attack, the brains on spines attack towards the end. There's a lot of stop motion. I thought that must be phenomenally expensive to do back in the day. Uh, so, yeah. like, I was thinking it was cheaper because it was black and white, but I'm sure it wasn't. Oh, I <laughs> it was got well it. done as well, wasn't it? It yes. really was. Yeah. I, I I also really loved um, the sound effects, and actually, I can recreate this here with this toy I have. Such gloopy, horrific sound effects, so well done. I'm just like. God, yeah, no, if this was in color, there was no way it would have been released. It was just way too gory, way too organic. And you're just going, this movie is ahead of its time in such a great way. It just reminds me of like 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 the end of Evil Dead, basically. And so I just really loved the I loved the weird dialogue. I loved the stop motion brains. I loved the gory, squishy effects. Everything about it was just a delight. <laughs> Dave, the, the thing that Dave B days, the thing that had me worried is about two thirds of the way through, the professor goes into a long monologue. A long yes, monologue. Yes, very about, long, isn't it? Oh, man. He explains his whole scheme and he explains the yeah. scheme again. He explains it backwards. And I'm starting to think, oh, Lord, is this going to be the payoff? Is this what we get? And thank goodness then the brains came out properly. It was brilliant. It's almost like they forgot to put that in and have to write it in quick. <laughs> and it's exceedingly long, isn't it? It's probably it a bit too, too long, really. But yeah. uh, well, when Kate was on about the sound, I mean, that actually, because for, what, three quarters of the film, you don't actually see him, you just hear him. But that sound really works, doesn't it? That slivery, crunchy sound, especially the crunching, I think, as they, like, move their spines up and down and basically they drill into your head. <laughs> um, but the sound really sells it. But, um, and again, like, away from, because everybody goes on about the brains, rightfully so. Well, even before that, I mean, to me, the best bit, well, like, the bit that always stuck with me for years was when um, the very brief kind of love rival burst into the town meeting. <laughs> And uh, we, and he, he's insane. I always wondered why. What was he just driven insane, or did he like have half his brain sucked out or something? I've never actually worked it out. Yeah. But that he, he only had yeah. half of his brain sucked out because he was so dumb. That was all there yeah. was. And then they were just <laughs> yeah. like, "Oh God, I'm so fed up with you. I'm going elsewhere." <laughs> but, that, but when he that noise he makes, that moaning, groaning kind of. Thing. <laughs> and then it zooms in on his face as he staggers towards the camera and that really stuck with me again you don't there's no creature involved but well also there's no what aftermath. they turned him into you know there's no aftermath to it either really you just turned it turned him no. insane and that's, that's kind of it but it's very effective yeah. when he comes in and it, i can imagine yeah. that would stick with you as a kid and the way his face is all twisted up yeah Especially he was kind of like um, a big butch kind of loudmouth as well. And now he's just this thing that staggers into the hall going... Anybody, any of you guys old enough to remember Michael Benteen's potty time? Oh, yeah. 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 I used to so love a little um, the flea circus. That's right. This, this, it was a UK found. show. It was one of the goons. And it says it was him with a bunch of models. They're either hand puppets or... Yeah. There were these little, um, uh, like you say, a flea circus that was just a clever series of tricks and things that, that there yeah. was obviously anything there. Did remind me a bit of potty time at times. That's all I was going to say. <laughs> I, thought, um, I thought that actually when I was watching the brains all coming to go towards the to the victims, I was, was thinking of this song called Brain Bug, or Nightmare by Brain Bug. I don't know it. Oh, okay. So basically, it's a 90s uh, techno-type electronic song. Um, And it's basically, uh, the video is based on like a 1950s sci-fi film with brains attacking the people. Um, And so when I was watching Fiend, I thought, this is where they obviously got their inspiration for their music video from. But yeah, uh, Nightmare by Brain Bug, um, well, if you want to check it out. 
I always look for musical cues. I always look for something I can use. That sounds absolutely great. So we'll definitely yeah, drop some yeah, of that. Have in. a look. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I, oh, I also thought it was interesting uh, how they added on the movie poster the girl uh, barely clothed, screaming, uh, but it was actually her. The, the scene where she's screaming was actually not in relation to the brains. It was actually in regards to being nude out of the shower and a guy comes in. So I thought that yes. was actually quite I just, I just love how absolutely random that was. And then you get the feeling mm. like they're probably going to take it out because they thought, mm, mm. this is iffy. And then the poster shows up and they're like, crap, we can't take it out now. <laughs> Marshall Thompson was scarier than the brains. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, um, yeah, on that Kim Parker brief bit, um, looks good. Nice to have a bit of female input there because it's a very male-centric film. But, uh, but yeah, but she was um, Austrian and fled the concentration camps mm. and um, moved here and, you know, had a short actressy stint. But, yeah, I, I think she's quite good given the... Um, She's basically in the screamer role, but and she does do a lot of screaming. But yeah, I thought she was all right. But also to talk about when you're on about the stop motion, I do love the little personality traits they give the brains as well. Mm. When they start to crawl around and they look around in a quizzical fashion, I thought it was really good. When they stand up on a chair and have a bit of a look around, like, oh yeah, it's going on then, <laughs> which is quite good. And that one who um. He tries to um, put the fuse out on the dynamite and he crawls towards it to try and stop stop the fuse but then just dies before he gets there. I thought they really made the brains, because they all look exactly the same, but I thought his little personality traits was really good. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if anything should have a personality trait, it would be a brain. Well, yes, but, exactly. But, well, it must have been. You know, I hadn't really thought how they've, um, what's the phrase, anthropomorphized them. Uh, so they look like, because obviously there's no eyes on them. So no. <laughs> what earth they're but seeing that, with or sensing with? They've got a little antenna, haven't they? That's it, yeah. Which they move up and down, you know, like yeah. physical fashion. And they'll even kind of turn their heads, <laughs> brains, brain heads to one side. Like, <laughs> eh, which way should I jump here? Yeah, which one should I jump on here? Well, I thought, yeah, they added this bit of personality to it. But I yeah, just, you know, I mean, it's a bit slow to go in places, but uh, that end really delivers, I think, and will stick with anyone who's seen it, especially if we're of a certain age. I'm glad you enjoyed it anyway. Oh, mate. Well, well I'd say it's always a treat doing the pod, and I always end up seeing things either that I've long forgotten or that I've never seen in the first place. Uh, yeah. I don't think I'd ever seen... Think about a face one of those ones. Again, you, you've seen the stills many, many times, mm. but I, I don't think I'd ever watched the movie. Uh, all right, then. Uh, very cool. Thanks for that. Great suggestion. Well, Lil, what is this fantastic tale you have about Aboriginals and cannibals in Australia? Fantastic? I suppose it is. But first, uh, I have a book here that tells an amazing story. And after that comes the story of this madcap expedition to the cannibal country of Australia. And we're going to make a, an expedition into that region. And we're going to make a discovery, a startling one, and then a surprise, a bewildering surprise. But first, this book, it tells about a race of people who lived and flourished on this old planet of ours from 25,000 to 50,000 years ago. You mean from 50 to 100,000, don't you? Well, what's the matter of 50,000 years between friends? <laughs> How do we know about this strange race of cavemen? Well, the book tells us. It's called Men of the Old Stone Age. And civilization is Hindu. The people are Malay. And these girls have the same delicate grace and charm as the court dancers of Java. The Balinese maidens are famous in the East for their beauty of face and figure, with special emphasis on figure. And we hope he doesn't forget himself and swing that Womera in our direction. It looks like mysterious business to us. We ask him to demonstrate a bit. 
He says, okay, and starts off with the spear between his toes. And then he heaves it. He heaves it at uh, his pal Rumba Tumba out there, who fortunately knows when to duck. And this old bird is wearing a flock of cockatoo feathers. And his friend Waragamba is adorned with a mother of pearl for a fig leaf and crow feathers for a top knot. Dr. Withington passes out a few presents for us. We have been well treated by these people. They have been gentlemen toward us, and they expect us to be gentlemen in return. These women are all under 30, and most of them are still in their early 20s. Yes, they seem to lose their fatal beauty rather early out here. This is the dance that brings howls of delight to the tired black businessman of Sunday Island. Dave, Dave Trzinski, um, mm. we haven't had a Mondo movie on before. Tell us about, uh, I get the name of this wrong. I keep calling it Blonde Captive. I, I get the name wrong. Is it Blonde Captive or Captive Blonde? Yeah, it's, um, I use basically the, the same, they interchange, but um, Blonde Captive, 1931. It was a Mondo film before Mondo was around. So Mondo is basically a term that was derived from a 1961, 1960, around about then, called Mondo Kane, um, which was the official first Mondo film. And it was just basically getting as much offensive, uh, graphic, violent, sex, sensationalist type of footage around the world, putting it all together, putting some commentary and some music over it, and selling it. So... <laughs> then there was the sequel of Mondo Carne 2, and then it became like a cheap exploitation um, income. So lots of um, people then started making all these uh, exploitation documentaries. They were cheap. They were really cheesy. You had Mondo um, uh, Bogosi. You also have Mondo Keyhole, Mondo Bolaro. Um, you have Shocking Asia, uh, Shocking Asia 2, and then you get things like shock, uh, the uh, Sacred and Profound, uh, Dances of the Sacred and Profound. There's a lot of them. I'm not going to go through all of them. But then up until the 1990s, we had um, Death Scenes uh, and Death Scenes 2, which were, which are brutal, absolutely brutal to, to watch, but then the internet. Um, and then the internet basically allowed everyone to basically see whatever they wanted. So I can't remember the name of the website. I'm sure everyone knows it, uh, rotten.com. Uh, back in the 90s, everyone could just watch this whenever they wanted. And it killed the, the, the genre of, of Mondo. But yeah, I find it interesting because uh, aside from all the narration and, and exploitation and sensationalism, there is actually a lot of interesting um uh scenery um you get to learn a little bit as well um even if you have to fact check it later but the most famous one would be probably king of killing it of america um not sure if anyone's seen that yeah yeah probably, yeah, yeah it's, it was one of the best films i mean and that had its own agenda after john lennon's assassination the last third of the film is basically john lennon isn't it of killing in America. Uh, wouldn't, that wouldn't be the last third. Um, it'd be probably the last, say, 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Film. Yeah, but there was a lot of uh, things like, you know, all the cl uh, classic uh, killers like Bundy and uh, Camper and, you know, all the Charles Manson. Um, so, yeah, so um, that's why I collect. They, they're, they're bizarre. Um, they're not really well known either. And so you can... They're really good discussion points like this. Um, so, yeah. So that that's the reason why I chose uh, the Blonde Captive. Um, and it was actually a, uh, a lost film. Very little was known about the creation of it. Um, so I won't be able to really talk much about the, the history of the making of it. I just thought I'd, cho I'd choose this one because it, it's a bit different. 
there are some scenes that today be considered pretty uh, questionable, but I thought it was interesting to see lots of different cities in Australia uh, or areas of Australia that back in almost 100 years ago. Um, oh, yeah, because I didn't know you were Australian, so that's, uh, yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm uh, yeah, in Melbourne, uh, in Australia, yeah. but, yeah, so, and that's the other reason why I chose that one. Um, there's a got thousands of movies in my collection, um, and I just thought maybe an Australian movie to start would be actually appropriate. Um, but, yeah, so just in regards to the plot line, um, it's just basically um, a bunch of pseudo-scientists, explorers, archaeologists trying to find the last Neanderthal, and unfortunately they pick on the Australian Indigenous people. Yeah, some of it, I actually forgot how brutal that film was. Um, so I apologise if I offended anyone. Yeah. Um, but... Um, yeah, some of the things I can't really uh, replicate here for obvious reasons. But um, I just thought it was also interesting to see uh, old Hawaii. Um, so scenes in, in Hawaii from the 1930s I thought was fascinating. But, yeah, so they go, they move on from America to civilization. Uh, then they move to Hawaii and then on to Bali where they you know, speak to the Balinese girls and, the men, all the tribes, people. Um, and then they move on to Western uh, Samoa, which was an American state um, at that time. And um, territory, actually, not a state. It was a territory. And um, then they move on to New Zealand, which was interesting in itself. The, the lullaby uh, sung by the Maori lady was actually quite interesting and um then they moved on to sydney and uh so seeing the, the sydney opera house in constructing uh, in construction mode uh, i can't believe they were actually um making the this famous and iconic sydney opera yeah. house background while they were you know looking at gardens and things but then yeah they go on to the outback and then they find their Neanderthal, but what was I, I thought was uh, bizarre for me was um, the the blonde lady at the end <laughs> uh, wasn't that actually a captive? Uh, she was, was she? actually living. She was living with her her partner or husband voluntarily. Yeah. Um. So I just yeah, you know, I thought that was a bit strange, and I love. Was she strange. even white? I don't <laughs> know. That's tell, questionable it? as well. She looked very tanned, yeah. maybe. I don't know. Yeah, she had a wig yeah. on, maybe. Yeah. But um, like Har- Harpo Marx. Sorry. Yeah. Harpo. Like, <laughs> it's got the most flattery of comparisons, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I, mean, I, no, I mean, I can see where they were coming from, where they were looking at the indigenous women and they found a blonde in the middle of nowhere with a child who did look very Caucasian. Yes, he was um, definitely, wasn't he? He was very yeah. white, very blonde. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I also thought it was interesting to see a lot of the Indigenous um, dances that they do. Um, but, again, the narration was absolutely appalling. Um, <laughs> off for the top. That's, I, that's what got me. I got to say. Yeah, I made a film for me. <laughs> I was, I mean, the first there was the bit like, oh, well, we know the Neanderthal existed and we have to mm. find them. And I'm like, okay, yeah, archaeology and anthropology at that time did not know. But you could just go down the street, yo. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> down the yeah. street, there's your there's your Neanderthal dude, okay? <laughs> uh, but then you get, like I said, the beautiful dances. You get the beautiful mm. dances in Hawaii, the beautiful Balinese dancers, the beautiful, mm. that, that, gorgeous lullaby of the maori woman and mm. then the fantastic tribal dances of the native australians mm. 
Mm. And everything about it looks amazing and is a delight to see, but that mm. narration kills you. <laughs> <laughs> it just yeah. kills you inside. Yeah, so, we have to talk um, about that. <laughs> well, so so wasn't this a this was done as a genuine documentary to start with, wasn't it? Wasn't it released? Oh yeah, an absolutely. Hour this is, this I, is I, not. I thought, I thought it was made yeah. up, and it turns out that's a genuine cut, like genuine film for the film. But there, it was a genuine footage of a real expedition that they did. Um, yeah, none, of, none of it was acting. None mm. of it was acting. They were. It was like a travel log around Australia um, at that time, and unfortunately, um, it wasn't until. They actually had no rights, Indigenous Australians, not until the 1960s, where they were recognised as people. So they were part of the census count after the 1960s. But prior to that, they were actually uh, uh, managed through Flora and Fauna Department of the government. So, yeah, so I'm not totally surprised with the narration, but it's still hard to to listen to. It was a a really... Really interesting movie, and like you say, a hard watch in, in many places. To be honest, um, Kate, did you get on with it? All right, how did you? Yeah, I absolutely hate the narration. <laughs> I actually <laughs> caused it when my husband came down for his break during the day because I was like, no, he should not have to deal with that narration. Um, but if I took it and redubbed it with a beautiful soundtrack of all the various. Uh, traditional music of the areas, it would be amazing. <laughs> because there is it a is movie such like that. good John footage. Baraka. So there's, there's yeah, there's there a, is <laughs> Baraka and, and Samsara do mm. that very effectively. Yeah, and I mean, but because it is also, I mean, those are great, but those are also more modern, I suppose is the way to put it. Mm. That yeah. that the beauty of it is is that this is from the late 20s, early 30s. This mm. is before World War II has taken over mm. those small islands. This is before mm. a lot of different things. So it's a fantastic ethnological study. It's just mm. got the worst narration. <laughs> <laughs> which, yeah. which doesn't always make sense either, does it? Oh, it's like yeah. when he says, uh, should I ask what time is it, boys? Or should I ask what time is flowers? Because it's a <laughs> four o'clock. And you think that yeah, doesn't okay. make any sense at all. And when he's no. comparing all the women to American women, and he's like, "Oh, you don't see women like that in Akron," and you're like, "Dude, <laughs> why are you comparing these to like some Midwestern or what?" <laughs> okay, okay, um, yeah, but you've got to de- defend the narration on entertainment grounds, okay. I think, because it did keep the interest. <laughs> I think you because. Um, you were just waiting to see what outrageous thing this guy was going to say next, and um, so it's like you, sitting you with like, your drunk uncle at a pub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. What well, one of the first ones that stuck in me was before they just started off and they were going around the islands when he says, um, but civilization appears like a nagging wife, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just there. You think you got away from it, and it's there like a nagging wife, <laughs> <laughs> and um. I think the early parts, they were um, most pleased with the women in the early parts. And um, it says, as we leave them with a scientific sigh. <laughs> the well-known scientific sigh of progress. The scientific <laughs> sigh. Oh, that was absolutely brilliant. And then, um, was it the Fiji ones? Um, when yeah. he went to Fiji? Yeah. Attractive young ladies. I don't know what the problem was. He said, "These are not what we've become accustomed to. <laughs> They're not as pretty as not the women. To the standards in... we've come to expect. They're not as pretty yeah. as the women in Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie. What? I mean, to be, there are all kinds of health warnings on this movie. Apart from the narration, apart from the, there's a little bit of cruelty to animals or things you might not be. Mm. Well, when they start dissecting the dugong, I thought it was quite difficult. Um, oh, God, I have a about that. I think, yeah, what they do with the turtles? What they turn them on their backs for? What's what's going on with that? Do they Why turn them on their that... backs to then go, hey, look, we're turning them right side. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, dude. I, I think they kind of did it to keep them there, you think? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So there were there were some stage things, yeah. uh, like spaces of death, um, where they, you know, perpetuated this myth that, 
everything in the series in the movie was real, but yeah. um, three quarters of it was all staged. But it'd be like the um, putting the baby turtles on top of the mother turtle, and then watching the mother turtle just mm. walking away into the ocean, and all these little baby ones are just falling off. So clearly, it's not natural, um, but they just put it in there to to make it look good. But yeah, you're right. They had the up the uh, turtles upside down, so they wouldn't crawl away. Yeah, yeah. Hit the shot, and then they'd have all these extras turning everyone on, all the turtles up the right way. Keep but them yeah, on the set right. until we're ready. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the animal stuff was, of course, kind of interesting because that would become a major part of um, Italian cannibal films mm. and Monday movies in general. What one of the big things would be to say, oh, look what we could do to this animal. Mm. Um, and also, do, do we, uh, let's get straight to the title of the thing. Do we actually believe any of that? Or was that completely faked about the blonde captive? I'm sensing dodginess. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty much right. I think it was, yeah. wasn't it dropped in by Columbia afterwards? I think Columbia... How was it? I think the footage might well have existed. Um, and Columbia thought, okay. Because, yeah, what happened was it was released as an hour-long documentary and then re-released by Columbia as a much more sensationalist, and I think 15 or 20 minutes longer. And I think that subplot of the cannibal blonde, the captive blonde, was introduced there, but it may well have been footage they already had. Uh, and they said, mm, ah, we've yeah. got a, with a story. I didn't trust that wig. I didn't trust that be, There's also, going to be guys, naked white women. Come let's, on. <laughs> let's face it. This is this is the, the, the big elephant in the room here. It was an excuse to see breasts. It was an excuse oh, to yeah. see breasts. Yeah, yeah a lot of it. Was an excuse to see breasts, uh, which yep. brings us on to Kate's film in a minute. But, but uh, <laughs> still doing it in the nineteen seventies. Um, but, but yeah, uh, cracking movie. Oh, I'll tell you things. Things I loved about it. Whoever knew the original the, where the term Three Dog Night" came from? Three Dog Night." Heard about the band so many times. Did not know Three Dog Night" was a night that was so cold that you cuddle up to three dingoes. <laughs> yeah. Something, something I, I learned know, from right? this film. Something I learned from this film. Because uh, we, we, we have a beer here called Two Dogs. Well, Ego. So, now it looks a little bit different. Serve moderately cold. Two Dogs. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought that was great. It was, yeah, like you say, it was actually quite charming in places. Well, the kids dancing were just funny and loving and, and, and lovely to watch. Uh, but yeah, yeah. it's quite interesting. The weapons as well, when they were doing the weapons, was quite interesting. When they were doing the spears. Making, making a boomerang. Yeah. Yeah. They, no. they mispronounced Woomera, though. The, Woomera. The, they had a Woomera. Yeah. I don't know how he pronounced it. Woomera. Woomera, I think he pronounced it. But it's a Woomera. So it's those things that sort of like a long plate. Um, and then they have a little nod module on the end. And that's where they put their spear. So it gives them extra length to when they throw the spear. Um, so like an extra arm length to take it further. Um, but they also use the woman for um, grinding nuts and, and berries and, and things like that. So it's a very useful tool. That's absolutely fascinating. Mm. Top, see, mm. top facts. The things you learn on this podcast, honestly. <laughs> no, this is not what you expect from the Bristol Cult Film Society, Cult Film Podcast, podcast. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you, Dave. State Department Security. Oh, I'm here to investigate Professor Kowalski's death. They just found another bomb. Well, you assisted him, didn't you, on his bacteriological warfare report? As you all probably know, we've had eight deaths in the last three days. How many times has a queen bee mate? Only once. They're dropping like flies. Hey, you having some trouble? Nothing you couldn't fix, officer. Here, the queen has been marked with a red spot. Now, what about controlled mutations? Now, as I say, we've talked about excessive, uh, to no point, reason, uh, nudity. Um, and then, Kate, 
Kate chose the film uh, with <laughs> probably even more amounts of pointless needed to see. Kate, tell us about your fabulous choice. My God, Invasion of the Bee Girls. <laughs> it is not a good movie. First off, it's low budget. It's exploitation. It's got bad acting, bad writing, bad directing, but it's really sincere and it's just a delight to watch. Um, basically, it's the sleepy Southern Californian science town where all the boffins are together and they're all the guys are dying due to sexual exhaustion. So they send a State Department person to come check it out, and it turns out that there are now radioactive hybrid mutant bee women who must mate, and it doesn't matter if their partner dies because of it. I love this movie. I absolutely adore this movie. There is... It's awkward. It's got ridiculous gratuitous nudity, but... I've not seen a movie where the villain is quite so right <laughs> because all the guys are just terrible. All the scientist boffins are just the worst. And you're like, like basically the reason why I chose this movie is because it's also showing on talking pictures TV in a couple of weeks. And the talking pictures TV podcast was coming up. And I was like, Oh my God, two birds, one stone. Let's get some B girls in here. And it just reminds me of how awful the wives have it in that town. Because they're in the middle of nowhere. They mentioned that they can't get out to L.A. very often. Your husband's ignoring you because he's too busy trying to get with all of the other lady scientists. Or, God help you, he's talking about swinging and wife swapping. And it's uh, you know full well that he's got like an entire list of the theoretical reasons why swinging would work out so much better for you. <laughs> and... It's not even like he's going to go for those rough boys down at the cannery. No, he's going to go for a science boffin boys who've got back hair and everything. And <laughs> you're it, is, just... it is the stone ugliest cast of any film. It's, I think um, I've ever... it, oh, the they... male cast. The male cast is 70 dudes. Yes. And, and then this woman comes to you and she's got this amazing sunglasses and this amazing hair, these amazing outfits. And she's like, why don't you join me? And you just go through a spa day. And you just transform into this beautiful creature with an amazing blowout hairdo, some fantastic frosted eyeshadow, just a hint of lip gloss and a love of captains and other sexy outfits. <laughs> yeah, why not be a B-girl there? Oh, yes. <laughs> but like I said, yeah, I mean, to watch a non-nudity version of this is, uh, uh, I would say, uh, a crime. It really is. It it's should not be. Because if when the film was getting a bit, it kind of got a bit repetitive, kind of like random dude gets killed. William Smith got a love bit. William Smith, um, Conan's dad always goes down well. Um, and then he will go, hmm, what's happening here? And then another one will die. And go, oh, this is very weird. But I think it rejuvenated itself, as it were, when during the um, B court scene, when you finally realise there was loads of them. And um, that was just absolutely glorious that scene that rejuvenated to see the entire film i think because it, it was fun but kind of repeating itself but then that one comes up and this whole cult revealed and they're glooping up this woman with this whatever the hell it is queen jelly or something who knows it's the but, best I mean, that, spa day i have ever yeah. seen oh my <laughs> what, god what a magnificent <laughs> sequence that was and also it goes on for ages it goes on for it ages. All, all, all the team are getting very excited by watching another gloopy lady. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a whole, um, there's a whole. Oh my god, they're turning into lesbians subplot, which isn't really explicit. But although like, the guys, th those women seem to quite like each other. You know, yeah. every now and then they get a look. You know, what drives me insane because this is the fact that the one guy that they kill who would not be sexually interested in them. They decide to run him over because he's not sexually interested <laughs> in them because he has. And actually, this is another part I absolutely adore about this film. He has his hidden secret gay sex room. <laughs> not, not though. He's got, <laughs> but, but he is a sexologist. So his hidden sex room is hidden behind a bookcase filled with books about sex. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, why are you bothering to even hide this? You could just go 
to research. But <laughs> but he they should have kept him. They should have kept him alive because he could be like, so you have this need to reproduce, and it's going to kill your partners. Have you considered this? And then they could have this gigantic gay bee colony <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, and it would have been amazing. But they killed the wrong guy. So did you oh. just you just put the B in LGBTQ, right? I did. The yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a random death as well, isn't it? It's kind of like a shock reveal. Yeah. Because he goes off to saying, I shall do a bit of studying on this. I shall get back to you. And then it's like, boom, there's his face dead. Well, there, there are a couple of narrative dead ends. I mean, like the uh, when uh, when your Smith's girlfriend gets to class, I'm sorry about that. That's appalling on me. But anyway, uh, when she's busy being attacked, being sexually you know, violated by those guys, uh, and he's busy making a very long phone call. Get off the phone. <laughs> go and rescue your girlfriend. Yeah. For God's sake. He gets oh, yeah. there and it's uh, punches him out and it's never referred to again. No, she's fine. She gets she's over fine. It. Next scene, they're watching a the film, you know, and uh, we do this justice for the perpetrator. Strange, and it's an excuse. It's an excuse to see her bluntly. It's an so. excuse to have this completely inappropriate attempted rape scene. Exactly. Yeah, the yeah. frustrating yeah. part. <laughs> yeah, it's the weird bit of the film, that isn't it? Because um, the rest of the film, I mean, it's full on. You know, if you see the uncut version, it's full on sexploitation. I mean, the film stops dead for now. We've got this bit. Where we shall see everybody naked, um, but that but it's done in kind of like a fun, frivolous way, and that bit is really weird. Yeah. Where they rip a bra off and everything like that is like it's really ugly, and yeah. uh, she's screaming and everything like that. And it it's a weird part of the film; it doesn't really gel with the rest of it. But I think was that the seventies? You think you've got to have this in? You've got to have this bit of uh, rough sex in. Maybe I don't so. know, Maybe but it's so. a it's a weird bit of film. It's the one I bit mean, of film you couldn't show to people, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one that I say, look, power through it, and then you get to the best bits. Yeah. Um, but what I will say is that, actually, one thing about this film is that it was supposedly written by Nicholas Meyer, who has mm. done a lot of movies, including the movie that I obsessively watched when I was a kid, Star Trek II. I watch that all the damn time. So Nicholas Meyer shows up on this B movie and I'm just like, what is this? What? But he says that the producers wrote it over the weekend while he was away. And I couldn't find a citation for this, but I swear I read it before that he was very dismissive. And he was like, the producer's girlfriend rewrote it. And when you think about that, then a lot of the movie is, you could see it sort of being a woman's, naive attempt at writing about all the sexism that she's facing because it's 1973 and it's Hollywood <laughs> and just trying to put it into this science fiction story and just doing it very awkwardly. So there's like this, this fine, thin, vague attempt that you can see the brilliance in it. And it's God, I would actually love a remake of this by <laughs> like, I, a a director and a writer who have studied feminist film theory or things like that because I think you could have an amazing movie out of this. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I think we've got this now. I think because we've got the we've, with the right production team, absolutely huge at the moment. We have Invasion of the Bar B girls. Ah, no. <laughs> yes, that, that <laughs> perfect combo. No. Oh no, you're Dave earning your T, name Dave. again. <laughs> T, did you enjoy it? Oh, I absolutely loved it. Um, I love uh, sexploitation. Um, older the better. Um, this was actually a really good movie. I don't know. Uh, that's just me. Um, I like. No, no, no. It was no. It um, did its job well, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, like yeah. the acting. Um, I like the special effects. Yeah, the the, the ladies were pretty. Um, but the. Oh, there was a moment in the movie where I was just absolutely pulling my hair out, <laughs> and um, it was the, the the love scene in around about the forty six, forty seven minute part minute of the film. And I'm like, where the hell is this music from? And I'm thinking, 
is this sounds like from the 1910s or 1920s Arabian night scores or something like that so uh, I, I, I don't know about you guys but if, if I have a, a question in my head I start googling to try okay. and resolve that while yes, my yes, movie's yes. still going um, so that was really annoying I still don't know who where that the music's from um, so and then how the hell did they have Strauss at the end how the hell did they get the whites to have <coughs> The music from 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, <laughs> it's classical, isn't it? So presumably it's out of copyright. But did you think that was a hint that the bees were evolving? Do you think that's the hint we're supposed to take from I it? I think you're supposed to take that the bees are still around yeah. or something like yeah. that. And you're like, no. <laughs> it's like, instead of apes, they're, they're basically... <laughs> so, yeah, so they're basically going to be ta- overtaking the world, um, these bee women. So, but yeah, no, I love yes. it. I love it. <laughs> We're quite right, too. Also, I love that the sunglasses, by the way, the sunglasses get their own credit. They get their own credit. No, as, the they the movie, oh, up. Up. <laughs> as they should. As they should. They're the most fantastic sunglasses I have ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm talking about that, that, those eyes worked really well, didn't they, when they had the black eyes? Well. Not really effective. Yeah, actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The black eyes of the bee women. Uh, yeah. I, I had mentioned, I love, of course, as a Brit, as an Only Fools and Horses fan, the fact they keep mm-hmm. talking about all the men are residents of Peckham. <laughs> that was hilarious. So that's a, That was a laugh. And uh, there's one I can't resist, guys. So this is a sexy film. The song, it's a sexy film. Sexiest thing in there. That lovely close-up on the TIAC reel-to-reel tape recorder. <laughs> <laughs> Because oh. I, I love my old tech. Oh, there's lots of my oh. IT in there. Oh, the old tech is beautiful, I got to say. The, and the decor. I mean, I mentioned the gay sex room. The gay sex room is fantastic looking. <laughs> and it's got one of those um, oil dripping statue things where the oil drips yeah, down the little spill of it. So it looks like it's yeah. raining. And I just went, mm. I want that. I want that so bad. There's so much around here that I want in my life. <laughs> <laughs> And that's what—that's the appeal of these films for me. Is uh, it's almost I'm living vicariously through these films back to a, a time that's be before now. Mm. Um, so you know, if I'm, I'm watching 1940s films or 50s films, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm taking on board the storyline and the acting, the direction, and editing, but I'm also putting myself back into that time period as well. And trying to, you know, live the main characters' lives as I watch the film as well. So, and especially with um, these really cheap films, where um, or low budget films, they couldn't get the the costs of, you know, getting the appropriate permits, and, and you know, like in the French Connection, where the the, the director was just basically did this massive car chasing all the way through this city, no permits, nothing, all one hit. But um, things like with, uh, oh, what's that guy's name? Um, Edward, Edward Jr. Um, a lot of his films were out in the, in the, the you, know, you see parts of Hollywood that are like back, back streets, back yeah. in the 1940s, uh, 1950s. And it's like, I love, well, he, he, there was a night scene, I remember, I can't remember which movie it was. There was a night scene, he's looking at the house, and all these moths are like <laughs> flying in front of the camera. And it's like, that's beautiful. I love that organic, real, like real feel to those old movies. Brave robbers from outer space. Brave robbers from what? One thing related about Invasion of the Bee Girls is that it was filmed, a lot of it was filmed at the uh, California Institute for the Arts campus, which is out in the foothills of Valencia in Southern California, which is a very desolate place, it must be said. But what makes that great is that not only do you get the modernist design of what would be a proper science compound, because it is a university, but you have all that free intern talent there to help you with your movie, which I think <laughs> actually helps make it a bit better because you just know those kids were like, Oh, you're filming a movie? Oh, I know about movies. I could do movies. 
because i'm jealous because i didn't get into cal arts so oh 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 so so there's a backstory to this <laughs> suggestion then <laughs> i i could have traveled back in time to 1973 and been on invasion of the b-girls god damn it <laughs> there was a, this is this is a thread actually they they um steve uh, so my fascination is new york in the early 1980s and we did an episode earlier with Steve Naive and Nick Gilbert, uh, who actually he'd been to Times Square in the early eighties as a oh. teenager. Sounds quite terrifying, um, <laughs> but man, I would love to have been around there. And, and just like you say, there, Dave, this is how we do it. We drop into those time periods. You can never be in those places, but this is close we get. And I hadn't really thought about it, but I love your connection between low budget filmmaking, which is actually closer to the real experience because it has to be. Mm -hmm. As opposed to the built sets and the architecture, etc. So that's that's fantastic. Really good insight. Thank you. Thank you. Especially today when you see um like the big Netflix films. Yeah. There was one with um oh he's done too many, I don't know any. Ryan Reynolds and uh, Rock and Gal Gadot, I forgot what yeah. it was called. And it's jets all around the world like an old fashioned Bond film. But they never left. Yeah. They never left. It's just there in front of a green screen. Well, the last and Indiana Jones film. It's like, problem. It's, it's you lose all that organic <laughs> loveliness, yeah. don't you, really? It's it's mm. the fact that all the Marvel movies are filmed in Manchester because that's the only place they could find 1940s New York architecture <laughs> or something along those lines. And yeah, it's the it's the low budget indie films where <sighs> even when they're pretending to be another place, you still get that beautiful organic <sighs> filming that you never got to see otherwise i was thinking of yeah. like oh god what is it a girl walks alone at night or yes. something like that yeah the, the one, yeah yeah the one that was filmed in like downtown la but they say i'm pretty certain it was filmed in downtown la <laughs> or in la and area but they managed to make it feel more organic that way mm. yeah you just can't beat that especially if it's done on the fly that we shouldn't be here naughty filming the gorilla film <laughs> it just adds so much to it doesn't it i mean just a scene of like um pink flamingos when divine walks down the street and it's mm. all caught in a, in a way you know they john, john water was just in the car following her down the street as um she walks down the street and it's just amazing you just cannot replicate that you know no, and the people behind just, her were not part of the film yeah, they were literally just bystanders going, yeah. "Who the hell is this lady <laughs> yes. walking down the street?" And you can see them gobsmacked at this lady. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you, know, you just get that for free, don't you? Mm. All natural, all free, just all spontaneous, and it works so well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, on about the end of this as well, it's a bit. You, it could be a bit abrupt. I go all of a sudden. It's almost like a doctory thing where everything explodes at the end. Yes. But, uh, yeah, genuinely I... poignant. I think it's you can see um, the leader of the Bee Girls. We have to we ha we have to mention her, don't we? Anitra Ford. Yes, uh, best known from the Sire of Evil, I think. Um, and she's so sad at the end, where it's all gone, tits up. It adds a poignancy to it, I think, because like she'd been trying to create this thing, this new society, as it were, and all of a sudden it's just exploded because Conan's dad just shot a button or something. <laughs> and uh, it's genuinely quite sad, actually. It adds to it, I think. Mm. B-Girls did nothing wrong. <laughs> 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 Can I just make me tape record a joke? Got any sting? Ah. Oh, dear. Actually, I really had a hard time not putting in a joke about how this was the ultimate B movie. Ah, no, oh, somebody had to do it. You know, on QI, there'd be the Wooga Wooga going off behind us right now. <laughs> um, I don't know. The dummies, the dummies. You cannot be a good dummy death. And um, when um, that dude was run over, what a oh, yes. dummy that was. That was <laughs> so great. I miss dummy deaths. <laughs> No, they really. were so good. You cannot beat a good slammer dummy somewhere. And that was so good, wasn't it, when he was run over? Because even because I think it was Final Destination, I think, when um, that 
person backs into the road and the bus hits them. I was like, I could think like the first time you go, oh, oh dude, because <laughs> you could do it with, C, with CGI. But before, and then it was endlessly replicated. One, as soon as anybody started in the street, you knew some vehicle was coming along. Um, mm. But until then, you had dummies, and that dummy was magnificent. <laughs> magnificent bit of dummy work. That the was. best actor. Well, that was a blast. Brains, ballyhoo, and be women. Does life get any better? As ever, there are links to the three movies, Fiend Without a Face, Captive Blonde, and Invasion of the Bee-Girls, in the show notes and on Facebook. Well, that's enough cerebellums, cavemen, and celibate scientists for one month. Come back in two weeks' time for the new episode of the Blu-ray Bloodhound, Unleashed. Don't forget to join the Facebook group, Bristol Cult Film Society, for many more rascally recommendations where this lot came from. Pod people this time... pod people this time include Alicia Ann Archer with her massive tunes thank you Alicia we really do love your music Dave Brock was our fiend without a face Kate Bolin is our very favourite b-girl and Dave Trzinski is the least convincing captive blonde there ever was blessed be to Steve Naive leader of our cult the pod was written produced and presented by me shameful Steve Noble shameful Steve on Twitter and remember no matter where you go there you are. But, I did um, like I like the fact they had kangaroo hunting in it. I don't like the fact that it's kangaroo hunting. It's terrible. Uh, but it's just the, I get the link back to the, the first ever episode we did. Um, we did body melt on the first episode, and uh, the kangaroos kangaroos pituitary. Gr- let me get this right. The kangaroos pituitary gland, isn't it? I can't. Okay, I can now say the kangaroos. Pit- which <laughs> this is going in the Kang- <laughs> The kangaroos pituitary gland. There you go. There you go. Is obviously what they were looking for. I shall stop at this point and stop talking altogether. Crazy work!